I think why people like Quiz, really, is it reminds them of the bit of school that they liked, which was the bit where you learn something that fascinated you. And in adult life, that is something that you get less and less. the Euro One, episode number 161 for the week of June 13th, 2022. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about Eurovision trivia with our special guest, Alex McMillan. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. It's that quiet time of year where there's really not a ton of news happening, so we just kind of have to make our own fun when it comes to Eurovision stuff. So, <laughs> well, like, There's not really news, and the news that's coming out is things like, Sweden will be taking part in the 2023 Eurovision Song Contest, and like I could have told you that in January, but thank you for confirming the thing we knew. Yeah, like it, it really is the more tying up loose ends part of things. Like the Russian broadcasters who were half withdrawn, half suspended from the EBU earlier this year. They have been formally suspended from the EBU. Do not expect to see Russia at Eurovision anytime in the near future. Yeah, that one's at least a couple years off. In the meantime, Kalush Orchestra have auctioned off the trophy that they won at Eurovision. And they managed to raise $900,000. It was some sort of NFT thing that they were doing. I still really don't understand NFTs or how they work or how the economy of it functions. It's just kind of like, okay, it's a thing. And it sounds like a scam. Literally every day there is a new rug pull. Like we have also just made the word rug pull for what happens if you try to buy an NFT. They got their money and they've already spent it. The money was intended for either relief in Ukraine or helping out the military there. They went the military route. They ended up getting a bunch of drones. Kiev still wants to host next year. Meetings have been happening, and I think they're planning on still hosting if they're asked. No, no word yet from the EBU on what Plan B will be or any sort of deadlines or anything like that it is also just like the weird time news wise where i feel like anybody who just puts out there on twitter i'd like to represent nation at eurovision is sort of getting picked up because like we also have the early selection process things happening i'm mostly convinced that we can start the rumors now that we're choosing san marino's entry next year the euro what will be choosing valentina Moneta. Eh, I, I feel like we need to pair her with someone or create some sort of super group. Add her to Kino. There we go. Yes, there we go. Yeah. Kano and Valentina Moneta will yeah. be representing San Marino in 2023. You heard it here first. And you also heard it here last. Of particular note is that Cyprus seems like they're going to be using a different process other than whoever Panic Records has on call. They have suggested that they're using this format called Altogether now to select their artist. I've been vaguely aware of Altogether now from like, watching a lot of British reality TV, and it feels like a really weird format, just in general. Yeah, wasn't that the format that Michael Rice won, like, right before he represented UK in 2019? Yes, Michael Rice won the first series of Altogether Now, but it also got cancelled after two series in the UK, which I feel like if it if the UK can't support your reality format, it's not a good sign for your reality format. 
It's what if the game show one versus 100 was a singing competition instead? Yeah, what if? I feel like that's an idea that you throw out while you're trying to get to the good ideas in your head. You have to figure out a seating plan for a hundred different music professionals. Yeah, but if you have the one versus 100 stage, like it's already built, mm-hmm. so that's handy. One other fun note about Altogether now is that in the UK it was hosted by Jerry Halliwell. Oh, really? Yes, and, oh. I'm, and I was just, I'm reading through like the logistics of how the program worked. Well, she was like the head of the panel of 100. She is the captain, as it were. And as captain of the 100, Jerry's vote carries no extra weight. The only time Jerry's vote takes precedence is in the case of a tied vote in the tiebreak. <laughs> so she is the president pro tem of... Yeah, she's the, the president now. pro tem of Altogether Now. Good for her. She yeah. earned it. <laughs> yes. The weird nature of that feels like an excellent segue into what we're discussing today. We recently had a one-day trivia thing over at learned league learned league for those unaware is a trivia competition is competition the right word yeah it's like a organized tournament a asynchronous tournament yeah asynchronous tournament that happens like four or five seasons a year where every day you log on and you have six trivia questions and you are against another person that you have been ranked against and you not only try to answer the questions to the best of your ability without cheating, you have to take a look at your opponent's stats and d- determine how well you think they're going to know things and give them points. If you think they're going to know something, you're going to give them zero points. If you think they're not going to know it, you give them three points. And whoever gets the most points out of the match is the winner. Between seasons, they have smaller competitions, some of which are mini leagues, which take place over the course of two weeks. And then lots of little one-day competitions, which are 12 questions over the course of one day where you answer them to the best of your ability and you select five of your 12 answers to be money questions where they are the things you think the least amount of people will know. If you are correct, you get more points. We weren't busy enough this spring between the American Song Contest and this year's Eurovision and everything else. We created a Eurovision one day special. Yeah, and like specifically decided to focus it on the last 10 years of the contest. In hindsight, I think putting that frame on things was nice, just given the vast depth of knowledge that you can wade into when thinking about past year emissions. Yes, although 10 years, a lot of stuff happened there. It was very difficult to find something that needed to appeal to a general enough audience. People who do the one-day specials may not necessarily know Eurovision stuff. And if we yeah. try to go in with just who sang this song or who was the songwriter of that song, like, who cares? We spent a lot of time thinking about how do you write trivia in an interesting way for an audience that is going to have varying levels of Eurovision knowledge and how do you do it in a way where everybody has fun? After going through that process, I wanted to just talk shop and think about that more. So I reached out to Alex McMillan, who I know from Puzzle and Trivia Things. They are a writer on Only Connect and a bunch of other British quiz shows, since there's a wonderful, healthy, well, healthier industry over there compared to the U.S. of people who write trivia questions for a living and really wanted to get their thoughts on what they think makes for good trivia. So here is that conversation. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be here. Just starting out, just I guess, a good question. Who are you and what is your relationship with Eurovision? It's a question I ask myself a lot. I am a trivia writer for various quiz shows on UK TV, US TV and YouTube. And I'm also a sort of game designer of board games and video games. And I have been watching Eurovision since I was probably around 10 years old. In my family, it's a sort of... It began as a very mocking tradition when I was a kid where my family would gather around and put it on uh, as a joke. 
Uh, and then I started taking it slightly too seriously and uh, things have devolved from there and now I'm obsessed with it. How was your Eurovision 2022 experience? It was a bizarre one, I thought. Partially on my end, I would usually host a sort of Eurovision party at my house um, and we'd moved house recently so I was looking for somewhere external to host that I wanted to host a sort of event at a bar um, but unfortunately we had a very unique issue this year where the uh, I think it was the FA Cup final was on on the same night as Eurovision about an hour before the contest was about to begin so every single place that you could normally book a room in Belfast where I live was fully taken up so I ended up having to I think it was the first year I've been a Eurovision fan where I didn't host a party for it, which was quite bizarre, but it was nice not having that pressure. Um, we went to see it in uh, a sort of local drag venue, which was quite fun, where the drag queens did talk over the songs, which I found quite annoying. But other than that, it was great fun from a sort of UK apologist's perspective, getting to see them not do terribly for the first time in living memory. Were you excited about the UK entry this year? Yeah, I think it's interesting being from Northern Ireland. We sort of root for both teams, depending on who's doing better in the running of UK and Ireland. And that's been pretty slim pickings for the past few years, either way you're looking at it. I had really good hopes for both Sam and Brooke this year. I do think Brooke was probably robbed of a place in the final. I found it to be a bit of a, a dry final. There wasn't a lot of like really exciting sort of dancey pop music other than sort of Spain being the outlier, I suppose. For me, the whole night was centered around, I really think Sam can do this. I think he can pull this off. I genuinely nearly cried whenever he didn't mess the song up because I was so stressed of, you know, something's got to go wrong. Something always goes wrong for us. Surely there'd be a stage invader or something. That's probably why I had that, like, protective <laughs> shielding up, was my thinking. <laughs> but yeah, when those scores were coming in, I my voice didn't recover for two weeks. I was so gravelly from screaming every single time we got points. Just the experience of watching UK Eurovision Twitter that day just lose its mind collectively. It was insane. Like, I had a family member who I'd been trying to convince for months leading up that, no, actually this year it's looking like things are going to be different and nobody believed me. And then my phone was just going absolutely wild as the scores were coming in of people saying, what is happening? How's this happening? (laughs) (laughs) I just remember the Twitter trending topic of just all caps, what is happening? (laughs) The thing that was really therapeutic for me was knowing that we've now got a solid few years where no newspaper columnist is going to be able to say with a straight face that we always do terribly. Um, So we don't have to hear that anymore, which is fantastic. But I do worry that if we don't get second or first again next year, we're going to become really embittered. Even if we come like third or fourth, it's like, oh, well, oh, the magic's ruined. It's a tough act to follow. But yeah, hope hopefully... The lessons learned for this year are carried through to next year. Yes, more of this, please. It's going to be, I think, a bit tricky because obviously Sam is so charismatic and you're not just needing to find another song that's that good. You're not needing to do staging that's good. You need to find someone who can embody that sort of positivity again without just putting Sam in again as much as we'd all love that. Yeah, although I think that is one area where the UK has been rather strong, even if it hasn't shown up on the scoreboard, is a lot of the acts that are sent have been really good ambassadors. Like, I think of Suri in in particular. Like, she's been 
such a fan even after her experience there. And like she did have the stage invader experience, so I could understand if she ended up becoming very sour about the whole thing. But yeah, I like I think everybody who has represented the UK has done the best that they can with the circumstances that they have been dealt with. Absolutely. Personally, Surrey is maybe one of my favorite entries as a person over the last like decade. And I would love a sort of dream scenario is that Surrey does come back with this sort of momentum that the UK has and gets to put in a, a song that really does the numbers. No, oh, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So Alex, how did you become a writer for UK quiz shows and just sort of quiz shows in general? Because that's a global market. It was a bit of a long and winding road. I started off doing a computing degree at university and then realized that that was not something that gave me any joy, really. And something that had given me a lot of joy growing up was uh, quizzing game shows. Uh, my dad would have the weakest link on every day when I'd come home from school. And you just got used to seeing him attempt to answer questions, get them wrong, and then just rush it off like it was nothing. I really enjoy... I, it's a similar love I have for Eurovision. I just enjoy this sort of, like, friendly competition. I never really got sports but I get that nature of competition in game shows and stuff. I applied to be on a few. I was on The Chase over here in the UK in 2015, I think, and then a few others. And then eventually I got sick of appearing on game shows and not winning any money. So I um, emailed one of the head writers on a show called Only Connect over here in the UK, which is notorious for being incredibly complicated and difficult. And I just asked him essentially, would you mind if I wrote some questions for the show and it was very sort of right place right time he said we've actually just had a space free up if you can write a sample set and I did and they were good enough I suppose um and then I was on that team and once you've got one credit it rolls on from there where every show you email you just say I've written for these things and yeah it's it's good it's very tiring having to jump between so many different styles of writing and obviously the sort of territory you're writing for changes a lot of things but it's great work because it's essentially it's an industry that just makes people happy oh that's so amazing yeah like only connect was our first pandemic show i think it was one of the first and yeah we ended up binging the entire series via (laughs) youtube (laughs) baptism by fire Yeah, I have known of it for years. I'm a member of the National Puzzlers League, and like any sort of UK quiz format will show up as an after-hours game at the annual convention, and Only Connect popped up as soon as that became an American thing. And then other former guest of the show, Chris King, has been for many years the person who uploads it to YouTube, and then is also now just writing for it. It's a lovely, close-knit community of people. I'm really just so happy to be a part of it. One thing, again, I know I've already said Dream Scenario, Surrey, going back to Eurovision, but another Dream Scenario would be Ken Jennings hosting a US version of Only Connect, which I've been long campaigning for now. I would love a US version of it, but I can... I just think it would be way too hard for like a general audience. But I guess that is the case in the UK as well. Do you have a sense of how approachable the quiz is? is i don't know if i'm really asking the question i'm trying to ask but (laughs) oh no i think i understand yeah Yeah, it's i certainly think that the reason it's popular was when people first see the show there's a morbid curiosity of what is even going on here i can't even quite gauge the mechanics of what i'm supposed to be doing and that draws people in the first few episodes you get nothing at all and you're watching it more for the entertainment value of seeing other people work it out but the moment you get one thing it really hooks its 
closing. And I think that's what's happened nationally is people treated it as a joke at the beginning whenever they first started to see it. Of, oh, here's this weird quiz shows for SWATs. And then the moment it started to click with people, it's now become part of the furniture. I'd say it's probably the most popular quiz over here. Oh, really? Outside of the big sort of daytime heavy hitters, it's the sort of one that people go to when they want to sound impressive. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I have a group where we watch both the Dutch and Belgian Mole, and when those are in their off-seasons, we watch Only Connect. There is such a sense of pride when you get something on, like, the second clue. Because, like, the first one, I have no clue where things... I usually have no clue where things are going, but, like, if I can get something on, like, the second of four, I just feel immensely proud. It's... It's... Truly, I know no other serotonin like it's absolutely incredible. And I think it's weird from a writing perspective. Only connect more than a lot of other shows. You're essentially just writing jokes that aren't very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like, it's yeah, similar to Belgian Mole. Like part of its style is how impenetrable it is. Yes, in writing trivia and in writing puzzles for my end so much of it it like especially having written mystery hunt over the last year it was just like what can i get away with even in writing the only one day we did i had a few things that were mostly jokes that i had one question that didn't make it into our learned league set where it was name the nations whose song is heard here and it was the year that both georgia and malta had submitted a song titled warrior Warrior, and i was just playing them at the same time love doing stuff like that that one did not make it past test on because everybody was just like what i think there's something wrong with the audio here yeah <laughs> and it's like no there's not it's beautiful well no there was something wrong with there, the there audio, was something wrong with the audio but i did it on purpose <laughs> that is like essentially a lot of the best sort of writing i find comes from what can i do that's going to annoy people up to the point that they're still enjoying themselves I think that was one of the challenges that we had when we were writing the one day, trying to gauge what the audience was going to be for this particular quiz. And part of what made it so challenging was the scope that we gave ourselves. We cut it down to just Eurovision in the last 10 years, but that is still a very wide expanse to work with. From your experience, how do you take a body of knowledge or subject area that is so broad and turn it into something that is good trivia? It's a, it's a difficult process at the best of times. I used to write for a show over here called Masterminds. People will come with a special subject. So we've had Eurovision in the past and you have to boil it down to a question set of at most 20 questions, but really they're probably getting about 12. And in those 12 questions, you're wanting to showcase why this is an interesting thing, why somebody brought it. And as you were saying, even with 10 years of Eurovision, I think we did on Mastermind when I was writing part of that Eurovision set, it was it was just the last sort of five, potentially. Um, certainly the questions I wrote were all to do with the most recent competition. And even in just the sense of doing it on one year, you could probably get a really broad scope of questions in because you're looking at upwards of 40 songs and their artists and all of the sort of broadcasters and the politics behind that and the semi-finals and the live events themselves and who's hosting them. It's so broad. Really the best way to boil it down. One is to find like the really interesting 
things that stand out as good takeaway facts. Like, I think if I'm ever asked to write a Eurovision question, the first thing I will reach for is uh, the 1969 contest. Basically, if, if you could state it and it would be interesting, then that's a great question. So if you told someone, oh, there was a four-way tie once and four countries all won because they didn't have a proper procedure in place to, to deal with tie breaks, that's quite interesting. So if you can use that as your baseline and then write the question in such a way that you're not giving away the interesting thing. So you're not making the person have to figure that out. You're telling them the interesting thing and then you're asking for the sort of easier piece of information after it. So I think people can make the mistake of, for a question like that, you would ask for the year and I don't necessarily think that's ever that interesting, remembering a year. Yeah, I think that was one of our guiding principles when we were writing this quiz. That also came from some of the feedback that we got where it was just like we needed to be able to hint towards the answer if somebody who had zero association with Eurovision was coming in to do this quiz. Ben, was that part of your experience when writing this? Yeah, because like so much of when I write trivia and when I've written one-off Jeopardy games for events or other things has been, okay, how can I take the interesting shiny thing that I want to show to everybody and not have that be the answer? How can I use it? How can I just drop that off and be like, look at this beautiful shiny thing? And then also here's a question that's maybe a little bit more accessible than just what year was this or what nation sent this song? Yeah, it comes down a lot, I think, to I want this to be a learning experience. I think why people like quiz really is it reminds them of the bit of school that they liked which was the bit where you learn something that fascinated you. And in adult life, that is something that you get less and less. So to have this sort of like bespoke arena of, oh, you're going to learn things that are fascinating and you'll be able to tell other people about. That's why people like quizzing. So if the bit that's interesting is the bit you expect someone to know going in, it sort of ruins it to a degree. Yeah, and I think especially when writing something like this, or I also wrote a Eurovision puzzle for Mystery Hunt, and like my print, my my guiding principle there was like I was I had a, an idea I thought was good of oh I'm going to do what placed second in all of the national finals from something, but in the process of doing the research for that, I was not having a good time. If I am having a bad time as the person writing, this is a bad idea. The people who are going to be digging into this is going to just be a slog for them, even more so if they don't know what I'm talking about. Ultimately, I was like, okay. How can I just force people to watch Love, Love, Peace, Peace? That's what I'm trying to do in day-to-day life. Uh, yeah, yeah. So see, that's what that's what I'm just constantly trying to do when I show when I try to get people into Eurovision. So I'm just like, what if I just wrote a puzzle about that? And that turned out way better than that idea was going, especially because like our goal was how do we get teams to make a Eurovision pastiche for us? Well, they're not going to be good unless they've seen Love, Love, Peace, Peace. How can I force them to do that? And thus that happened but yeah with this like again there were like a few things that were just jokey things that i absolutely really wanted to get in there like we had a question that was just a super cut that i made of linda woodruff mis- mispronouncing names hello welcome to the amazing country as in how do you pronounce it alexander ribeye by benjamin grissini and since the amazing coconut Water worse with the song dries like a Kleenex, like Engelbert Dinkelhump, Eric Shadaydain, Miss Yon Ulalala Sand, Mr. Sandy, the amazing Lorraine with Lauren, Mens Schlemmido, and his little balloon boy, the wonderful DJ David Ginetta, Lady Gargarina, Lady Greener, and her song A Million Horses. Did I pronounce that right? No. Turn it off. (laughs) Oh, God, that's one. What's great about Eurovision as a sort of base point for writing questions is it's so self-referential. 
um, in a way that like other things that are similar to it. I think a lot of people compare Eurovision to sport, but sport doesn't have that self-referential nature. If you look at a lot of sort of soccer questions, they're usually just scores. They're like, they really are always based on like pure stats. Whereas Eurovision has a story every year. There is a narrative to it. And you could do things such as like the song swap they did in, was it 2019? Yeah, so that's a great example. Almost every year now, there's a thing where it's like, look, here's this person from the past, and they're doing a new thing that's also a different thing from the past. I think of that, I think of the rooftops in Rotterdam. Eurovision, much like Hollywood, loves to celebrate itself. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense, given that it's an annual event, and it has this sort of long run-up to it, and then quite a short tail, like once you're in off-season, waiting for the national selections to start happening again. It's a very empty time. So it makes sense that when you're in the moment, you want to cram as much of it in to that one night as you possibly can. Yes, there are so many things that just are continually referenced, because I I always just joke about how we're just going to be hearing about the Bucks Fizz skirt reveal until the heat death of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's another thing that can become a really easy trap to fall into whenever you try and write stuff about Eurovision is that over-reliance on the moments from that sort of golden age between the sort of actual start of the competition and when things got a bit weird towards the 2000s where it's just constantly looking up in the box for skirt reveal you've got a Katrina the Waves like Dan International it's easy to constantly go back to those wells but there's so much interesting stuff happening every year every single year after Eurovision there's usually one or two takeaway moments that become international news so you don't need to keep going back to those things exactly well yeah i'm just thinking about how like last year's like the big international story that came out of eurovision was monoskin Uh, yeah not even just monoskin in general like you had this sort of the table moments and people becoming forensically obsessed with that just just just, i just remember the one twitter thread hello i have an art history degree here's how looking at the angles of this he's not doing cocaine Yeah, and I think also what's interesting is that even if Eurovision is not your specific area of expertise, you can pull in your areas of expertise into the Eurovision experience, like the art history thing, where I don't think I would have expected an art history examination of angles for anything Eurovision related, and yet here we are. Part of what I think can, in general, when you're question writing, the thing that like makes a question fantastic is if there are multiple ends to it and if you're doing a puzzle hunt thing as well then i suppose it would be like making sure there's not just one route to the answer if you have multiple different access routes that you can get to in completely different ways it makes the question more fun it makes it a bit more sort of scavenger hunty one of my favorite local quiz nights here that sadly is no more one thing that they always called out with questions of that nature were they're figure outable there's little breadcrumbs along the way where if you think about it there's like a couple different ways into it it's not just do you, it, you either know it or you don't yeah i think weirdly that's a thing that's really different in uk writing and us writing where in the uk most shows really prefer the questions to just be you know it or you don't whereas on the us you have shows that rely more on being able to figure stuff out i think a lot about the sort of differences in the way that millionaire questions are written in the uk it's very much just a statement of fact like what country did this happen in or who built this building or what war was this in But the thing I really loved about US Millionaire when I used to watch it was that the questions were almost little puzzles in themselves. I recall one about, um, it was something like Napoleon's last descendant, how did they die? And no one is going to know this, but the things that were included in the question, 
would allow you to eliminate some of the options. I don't know if it was fully figure-outable, but I prefer being able to look at a question and analyse it and figure out, okay, well, I can suss out an answer. There's just something really unrewarding about when you're like, oh, I don't know that. So I just have to wait for them to reveal the answer now. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes Jeopardy so much more interesting. Like, it was a couple of years ago. I can't remember what the occasion was, but they were replaying old episodes of Jeopardy from like the 1980s. And it was much more of that statement of fact type question writing or answer writing, as it were. But yeah, but like nowadays, it's just, okay, one of the letters is in quotation marks. The answer is going to start with this. And they're giving you this other information. And there's a pun or a joke somewhere within the clue. So it is much more figure outable and a lot fewer occasions of everybody just standing there not answering and just being really boring TV. It is, I'm not sure what has caused that specific sort of fracture point between the way things are written here and the way things are written in the States, but it is really very noticeable. And I remember when um, they were originally rebooting Millionaire over here, I wrote a very sort of impassioned email to the the exact producer of just, I just want you to look, I've set, I've linked you to a few episodes of US Millionaire where they write really interesting questions and we could adopt this right now and have a much more entertaining show. And that email was entirely ignored. You roll with the punches, I suppose. It's just, it's, uh, yeah. it's a real shame. Like, I, I prefer that style of writing. I think that's why Only Connect is so popular, is in every question there are, is potentially four ins. Every clue is its own potential point to the answer. That makes a lot of sense. Could part of it just be the quantity of game shows that are in the UK, at least compared to the United States? It seems like there's a, a new quiz debuting every week. It is a bit incessant, isn't it? It's a sort of rolling treadmill. I, I enjoy it. It's great for me, but I'm aware if uh, people don't like quiz shows in the UK, there's not much else on. Certainly that is, we've got a lot of very like high density shows where it is just get the question out. There's a difference between when the question is the sort of star of the show and when the question is the means to an end. The chase is a great example of that because in the cash builder round where you have a minute to answer as many questions as you can, the questions are a means to an end there. It's just get the question out, answer it, move on. Whereas in the sort of multiple choice round that makes up the majority of the show, the questions are the star of the show there because it's on the screen, you're reading it, you're thinking about it for the 30 seconds that it's up there, and it's trying to tell a story, or it's trying to showcase something, or it's trying to make Bradley the host laugh. So it's weird, the question can sometimes be the thing, it can sometimes be the journey, and sometimes it can be the destination. Watching the different formats that pop up in the UK, like just how people are playing with that notion of, are the questions a means to an end? There's a show that happened last year where I've watched one episode and I immediately was like, I need to figure out how to write this for the NPL. It was the show I literally just told you. That show has got a second series coming up and I'm quite surprised because I feel like they've done all the things they can do with it. I'm yeah, really fascinated like, to see where else it could go. Agreed, yeah. We're, we're like, I've watched the first series and I'm like, this is fantastic, but also what can they do from now on? But like, where that one, it's as much a performance for the host as it is quiz i watched one episode because it was the celebrity edition which where i was just like oh i absolutely want to see alex horn take this on but just like watching the way that like anything can now become a question in real time yeah i think again there's maybe that sort of self-referential joy that you get in something like only connect or eurovision where it's very much using itself as a question source like in a way that show is almost self-sustaining it doesn't actually need any external knowledge to come in it could just be about the show itself as it's happening in those first rounds where they actually have some general knowledge 
eventually I think they will be able to just do away with that and it will become a pure observation show. Um, but there's been a few sort of very interesting ideas that have come out of UK Quiz recently. There's one that I have a really soft spot for called The Answer Trap which unfortunately only got one series and I'm still quite embittered about it, which was in a way it was like the connecting wall and only connect in reverse. So you'd have a grid of answers and you'd have two or three different categories to put them in, but some of them were complete red herrings. And the way that those red herrings worked was they were quite workoutable, where if you were looking for like Eurovision acts, one of the options might be San Remo and that would be a trap and you could work out, oh, that's not an act, that's actually a sort of national selection. So that was nice in that you weren't just trying to find the right answers, you were trying to eliminate the wrong answers as well. Where does a question setter find the line between what is trivia and what is minutia? Like going back to the mastermind example, one of the things that would terrify me of having Eurovision as a specialty category is that everything would be fair game, but not all of it would necessarily be interesting like who was the songwriter for this or what was the production company at least like yes that's a true piece of knowledge but who cares yeah when i was a lot younger i actually auditioned for the junior version of mastermind and i remember the sort of producer who was talking to me saying to me just before we started doing the general knowledge it was like no sorry it was um i was about to start asking about my special subject which was back to the future at that point and he'd made a point of don't worry, we're not going to be asking you stuff like who was man in background number three. And he explained to me, and I've taken this forward, this idea that like the writer needs to find it interesting in the first place to ask it. So it's possible that you would get stuff like who was this songwriter? What country awarded eight points to this other country? But the writer would have to have a reason to have seen that and wanted to write about it in the first place. So from a contestant perspective, that should be a security that essentially the writer is wanting it to be interesting. They're wanting the contestant to get something out of it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think about just how locally there was like one quiz company where one thing they would do on a monthly basis, they would have a theme quiz that was like a separate event. And I just remember going to one for the show Parks and Rec. I've watched a lot of Parks and Rec. I like the show. And then the questions were on the level of name all of Duke Silver's albums where first of all you have to remember that duke silver is ron swanson's like, jazz yeah, yeah, man yeah. alter ego that's that should be the question is can do you remember duke silver not can you name all three of his albums because no one in the room could i think that's a that's possibly where the break point is for that you'd have to explain two levels so you'd have to say okay duke silver is this guy looks a lot like ron swanson and then this is what his albums were called if your question requires an and then it's probably at that point it's become nonsense. Whereas if it's just one stage, it's still trivia. I like that a lot. I'm actually writing that down right now. Just be like, oh, okay, for future questions on this show, just be like, no and thens. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, and I, just bringing this back to puzzle writing, because I, I think there's a lot of the same kind of mindset and the same sort of thing is if you're going to have two ahas, you need to be able to pull them out of the flavor text without an additional leap of logic. Yeah. Obviously, because two reveals is lovely. Like, the more reveals you've got in a puzzle or a question, the better. But each of them needs to feel worthy, I suppose. And it's very easy to write a puzzle that is really archaic up until the solve. And then, obviously, no one's going to get to the solve because it's really annoying to actually get to that point. Yeah, just like in the test-solving process, just watching something that you thought was just crystal clear because it's your brain just absolutely fall flat with a group of four to six people just trying to kick the tires is both frustrating and helpful. 
I think if you were to look at, because I was just thinking there about a potential sort of like Eurovision example as a thing that would that would work well as trivia if framed in a certain way is to take our friend Surya again. As she was a backing vocalist for Belgium on two separate occasions, you could use that as a framing for a question about what UK entry was backing for Belgium twice, because then someone who knows the UK entries from the last few years will be able to whittle it down a bit. They'll be able to think, okay, well, it's probably not Joe and Jake because there's two of them. It's unlikely to be someone like James Newman because he's got quite a gruff voice. Is not someone you'd expect to hear as a backing vocalist. Having that sort of stage of piecing it together, I think, is... This is probably a point more to what we were talking about earlier, as I'm saying it now. Yeah, and I think both like for me like both trivia and something like a mystery hunt puzzle is something where it is a battle between the writer and the solver that is secretly tipped in the solver's favor yeah i think something that is uh, talked about a lot on only connect is that you never want a question to go dead because then it was a waste of time the sort of ideal experience is someone gets a question right at the last possible moment that way you've used all of the potential time you've aimed the question at the exact right difficulty where it was solvable, but it was as challenging as it possibly could have been. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking of seeing the aha moments, like that when there are just two seconds left on the clock, be like, oh yeah, that that is like a little jolt of adrenaline or espresso or something. Yeah, it's <laughs> deeply satisfying. Yeah. If you can see them piece it together and then in the sort of haze of the post-solve haze, they're able to explain it. And then you realize what it is as well. I don't know if I've ever written something that's at that exact level of perfection, but that's what everyone is striving for. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Alex, thank you so much for talking about some of the tricks of the trade, particularly from the quiz show perspective, because I was also a huge game show nut growing up. And yeah, just learning a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of like how the process works it has just been fascinating well thank you so much i mean it's something i love talking about and any way i can bridge my two sort of passions in life of quiz shows and eurovision is it a pursuit worth pursuing is there anything that you'd like to plug or point our listeners to uh i'm at undeniably alex on twitter you can go on there and see all of the stuff i'm up to i do improv and i put puzzles on my twitter and i have a stand-up alter ego at kaylee ray which you can probably find via my twitter and she's funny-ish. Nice. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. All right. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can follow The Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash eurowhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the eurowhat, Dude Poin joins us for some midsummer fun as we take in some Eurovision-adjacent Swedish pop culture featuring ABBA and Max Anger. 